I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. No need to beat around the bush any longer, folks. You know all the deal. We are all getting excited for the U.S. Open, which starts next week. Of course, we are also all enjoying this week's Western and Southern Open, trying to gather any sort of data we can, information on these players as we try to prepare our takes, you know, get ourselves ready for the year's second Grand Slam. And that's what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets this week, trying to help get all of you listeners ready for all of the action in New York. It's been such an exciting first event. Of course, it's only going to get better once you add the pressures of a Grand Slam. And what we're trying to do here on the Great Shot Podcast, again, preview as much of this action in New York as possible, get you all as prepared as you can be. You know, lately, we're, we're starting out with the women's side, and I had Ben Rothenberg on the podcast late last week, part two early this week to talk about our most interesting women heading into this U.S. Open. And the reason we're starting with the women is because it is such a fascinating time right now on the WTA Tour. There are legitimately probably 30 players if you're being serious, but 50 plus who could make the second week. 30 if you're being serious about who could win, but you know, if less than 30, but 50 total women could make the second week of the U.S. Open. That's not a stretch to say. It just depends on how the draw breaks. It really depends on who's playing best on that given day. That's how much talent there is right now, how much parity in the women's game. And so we wanted to have a little bit of fun today. Talk about the names that maybe you, you, you're not expecting Now, some of these names you'll have heard of late because some of these players uh, have had so much success recently and there just hasn't been that much tennis to cover, but we wanted to take a look at the dark horses, right? Those players ranked outside the top 20, outside the top 50, who we think have a legitimate shot at making a run this year in New York. Now, of course, you all know here at the Great Shot Podcast, we are so thrilled to be brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. Well, the reason we also wanted to talk about these dark horses, who are the names where maybe they're they're going to be unseated, but if you see them knock off a seed, make the second, third, fourth round, that shouldn't surprise any of you. And so to talk about that subject, I, of course, had to bring on our returning Cracked Rackets champion, tennis channel analyst, pro tennis coach, you know, one of the most handsome men in tennis media, uh, Mark Lucero, to talk about the dark horses we think uh, may emerge as champs. Now, some of these names, again, are obvious, a little bit of a, uh, I suppose, spoiler alert, but if you think we're not going to talk about 
Jessica Pagula in this podcast, you're crazy because who could have seen what she's done these past, honestly, the entire 2020 calendar year uh, and not be impressed by her performances. You're going to hear some names that you'll be familiar with, some that perhaps you haven't heard us talk about before. Uh, But overall, again, it's been really fun to just set the scene and all of the action. And, you know, we're always a fan. Who doesn't like the dark horse, the underdog, the unseated darling making that second week run? It's something as tennis fans we always get excited for. And again, this year's women's singles at the U.S. Open, a wide open field. So it's going to be really fun to watch all that action transpire. Of course, the reason we are able to bring you this Great Shot podcast, do this preview content, make sure you Crack Rackets fans are the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business is because of the support we get from our friends at DraftKings. And look, we've waited all summer. And so we are so excited here at Crack Rackets to be partnering with our friends at DraftKings for these three weeks in New York and moving forward to bring new users a limited time only sign up bonus of up to $1,000. Here's how it works. You're going to create your DraftKings Sportsbook account and make a deposit. DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. From there, you're going to make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash great shot to play. That's dkng.co slash great shot. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, or Illinois, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonus is in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions reply. See DraftKings.com slash sports book for no more details. And of course, for any of you looking to get in on the action, you want the daily picks of the spread of tennis matches, which truly are happening across the world. We've got challengers, ITF events. I highly encourage you to listen to our Ace of the Day podcast. We keep them on the shorter side, right? No longer than 20. I know Rothman and I just went 30 minutes, but of course, if you're looking for just the picks, you can see that little two-minute clip every morning on our social media for Correct Rackets, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I know uh, our team is posting it on there, so be on the lookout for all of that. Get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings, dkng.co slash great shot. All right, with that being said, and without further ado, let's talk a little bit U.S. Open WTA Dark Horses with our friend, Crack Rackets returning champion, Mark Lucero. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
joining us now to help us get you tennis fans ready for all of the action in New York and to run through some of the dark horses we could see emerge not only during the Western and Southern Open, but of course in the year's second Grand Slam, the U.S. Open is a returning champion here on our Crack Rackets podcasts. You, of course, know him as a notable contributor to Tennis Channel Pro Tennis Coach, my co-host of all of the action on the Tennis One app in Lexington, Mark Lucero. Mark, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, it's great, man. Great to talk a little tennis with you. Let's fire it up. Yeah, I know. You and I never get to talk tennis, so this is really a, pr- a pleasure. It's been so long. Oh, man. I've been I've been thinking about it all day. <laughs> well, I am glad to hear that. As I mentioned, what Mark and I are going to be doing today, going through some of the dark horses on the WTA Tour, those names maybe outside of you know the top 32, outside of the top 50 that don't necessarily immediately jump out to you, but maybe should as we look at what is clearly a wide open field on the women's side. And even before we get into specific names, we've now finally had a little bit of data for us to you know analyze during this 2020 restart. The first two weeks of the WTA season, of course, Prague, Palermo, Lexington, but now getting to see so many of the top players make their returns in New York. Your thoughts on the initial return of play? My opinion, coach, I would say it's been, you know, the same sort of sloppiness we saw that first week of Lexington. Have you been surprised by anything you've seen? Uh, No, not surprised by much. It feels like it feels like the beginning of the season, you know, it feels like Brisbane feels like the Hopman cup. Uh, there's an element of, you know, people don't really look sharp. There's other players who look sharper than others. Uh, obviously, you know, especially today, I don't know how much you watched, but the conditions looked like they were uh, getting a little tougher today with the, the, you know, the humidity and the temperature also, you know, new surface in New York this week, a lake hold, uh, surface a little quicker than the deco turf in the past few years. Um, kind of a return to how the U.S. Open court was maybe, uh, you know, five, six, maybe a few, you know, a few years ago when the U.S. Open court was kind of known as the fastest court on tour. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's funny you say that because watching the play, maybe it's just been so long since I've seen so many of these pros on court, at least in live action, but I don't know, it hasn't seemed that much noticeably quicker. I mean, certainly the conditions you talked about, it, the heat, the humidity, it's brutal, and you can tell for some of these players, they're like, oh my god, I haven't had to deal with this much adrenaline, two out of three sets, my body is just cooked by the time, even if they get to a third set, case in point, uh, yesterday, Christian Guerin, alias Bedene, uh, Guerin just, the tank was on empty in the the third set. He had nothing left. He was surprised even that he won that second set, and I think that's happened across the board in a couple of places. But, I mean, I think it's more the conditions that and than anything else that these players have dealt with. I don't know. I feel like the courts aren't that quick. Am I, am I out of my mind? Am I crazy as <laughs> usual here, Coach? Uh, I think it's, you know, one of the talks of the tournament, at least in the people that I speak with. Uh, mm-hmm. courts, court 17, uh, they, they're saying it's, it's slow compared to the others. The other courts are supposed to be pretty quick. And again, not like outlandishly fast, but significantly quicker than the last couple of U.S. Opens. 
Uh, it makes sense. The only camera I hacked into was camera 17. So it makes sense. <laughs> oh, there I'm you go. Confu- <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. But yeah, I mean, certainly, again, for all of these players to see them on court, it's been a treat, certainly. Um, in general, again, you sort of look at the women's side. And the first weekend, we saw the top two seeds, uh, you know, drop out. Sophia Kennan knocked off uh, last night by Alize Cornet. We also saw Veronica Kudermatova knock out number one seeded uh, Carolina Pliskova. And that sort of set the tone for this dark horse conversation because, you know, not only are we missing Simona Halep and Belinda Bencic and, you know, uh, Elena Svitolina, so many other players opting out of this U.S. Open, justifiably so, so it's wide open to begin with, but it genuinely feels like, Coach, on any given day, 50 different women could be the best player in or on the women's tour. Do you think that's a fair place to start this conversation that even before you look at any dark horse, really anyone's a dark horse to win this event because there are legitimately 50 players that are that good right now? Yeah, if you go through the draw and even go through the rankings and look at who's here, there's just so much that can happen. And I think that's another function, of, too, of having a little bit quicker court. Uh, it sort of makes everyone's weapons maybe about 10 to 15% better. And, you know, the obviously in, in any sport, in any format, the longer the format, the more it's going to favor, like, the quote-unquote better player. So, you know, in these conditions, playing against, you know, play, playing on surfaces where the points are going to be a little shorter, I think it makes the situation even that much more, uh, you know, advantageous for the underdogs. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about the underdogs. Again, the big one, Sophia Kedden losing that match. Uh, you know, she was just straight it's without being disrespectful obviously big Sophia Kennan fan here go listen I'm not going to give the credentials of a Sophia Kennan fan needless to say I was calling her Sonia Kennan long before it was the cool thing to do um but yeah she just was not playing well last night through 6-1-5-2 now she did manage to scrap her way back into that second set send it to a breaker had a sitter of a forehand approach on a set point that she just overcooked and you know ultimately lost that second set breaker but Coming into this, I had this theory, right, that it was the players who were match tough, and we talked about this a lot on the Tennis One app, the players who were match tough, who had played world team tennis or, uh, you know, any sort of exhibition matches during these past five and a half months, that they would have a leg up on the competition simply by being more match tough than the others. Do you think that trend has played out, or do you think things have been pretty neutral thus far? You know, it's funny because it has and it hasn't. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Alizé Cornet played some matches, you know, in the south of France. Uh, obviously, Sophia Kennan played in World Team Tennis. But the thing about her is after the first week, I don't think she looked that great in World Team Tennis. She seemed to struggle a little bit. Like, she took a bunch of L's, um, struggled a little bit with her serve and the forehand during those matches. And it looked like it carried over a little bit into the Cincinnati event. Um you know, but and then on the other hand, look at someone like Tennis Sangren, who's really mm-hmm. playing some great tennis. Um, he looks really sharp. Uh, even a, uh, I mean, you know, Grigor Dimitrov played in the Adria Tour, and then obviously he got sick, and um, but he, you know, he won his match. Uh, so yeah, you know, in Jessica Pakula, who we're going to talk about later, um, is obviously playing good tennis. Really, you know, with a great win today uh, to back up her last couple wins. Um, so yeah, I think it's you know, we have players who have seemed to have springboarded off of, uh, you know, getting a bunch of matches in in a short amount of time. 
Yeah, it's, first of all, spoiler alert there, and I'm really happy to hear that Jessica Pagula is on your list as well as mine, and I put her on my list because, I'm going to be honest, I we've worked enough together now, I anticipated she would be on yours, and I was like, yeah, I could do 15 minutes on Jessica Pagula, so I'll throw her on mine as well, and we can just knock it all out of the way, but yeah, it, it really is too full because then, you know, a guy like Taylor Fritz looked so good in his first match, and just so our listeners know, we're recording this Monday, 7 p.m., uh, I still haven't watched the Murray's Vera match, so no spoilers yet. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Fritz looked great in match number one, you know, did not look good in match number two today. And they, it, it is really funny because uh, Marie Buskova, she knocked off a Kvitova. She's looked good the entire time. So it, it has played out. It hasn't played out. It's just an interesting thing to keep in the back of your mind because I would agree with you. I think in the majority of cases it has, there are just a few notable exceptions, Kennan and Fritz uh, being the most so. But with that in mind, let's get to the reason I brought you here today. And I feel like it only taking eight minutes for us to get to the reason I brought you here today. That's a win. Usually we go above 10 on that. So big victory for us. But, you know, I want to talk dark horses with you. And it's it's almost tough to categorize anyone as a dark horse, as I mentioned, because the field feels that wide open. And yet, I think certainly there are going to be players in this U.S. Open, particularly on the women's side, uh, who come out, who are unseated or who haven't made deep runs at a Grand Slam before, who inevitably end up doing so in this event, just given the circumstances that it's happening in. And so, of course, I brought on the expert, Mark Lucero, to help prepare all of you listeners to know who are the dark horses you should be looking for. If you're someone who's into DraftKings, maybe these are the names you might want to follow when the odds are a little bit against them. And so I gave you a little bit of homework, because I know a BC Eagle is always going to do their homework. I said two players ranked between 20 and 32, two players ranked ranked between 32 and 50, and two outside of the top 50. Let's name some dark horses. Let's talk about them, break down all of the action. So with that in mind, let's start at the top of the field. And again, someone ranked 20 to 32, they may end up being a top 20 seed. And not they may end up, they will be top 20 seed. They surely will. Yeah, given how many players have withdrawn. But, you know, I wasn't going to make the rules that strange. I was going to be like, hey, count it out. Nope, it's player 25. Like, how do you not know that, coach? You know, just we can generalize a little bit here. Give me your first player, player ranked between 20 and 32, who's going to be a higher seed who you anticipate will, you know, make a second week or at a, you know, second week at a minimum or maybe even make a deep run into to the U.S. Open? I'm going to go with Elise Mertens. Ooh. She was very, a very 2019 quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open. Finals in Prague about a week and a half ago. She started off wins over Rebecca Peterson and Christina Mladenovic this week, and she plays your girl Kudermantova, uh, I believe, <laughs> on Wednesday. Yeah, first of all, I'm down for Kudermatova to be my girl. Um, so you talk about Elise Mertens, and I'm really glad you bring that name up because a name I have on this list, and I apologize, Crack Rackets fans, they know my obsession with you know this generation of 24 to 25-year-olds that Conteve, Mertens, Sakari, uh, Vekic, Quartet, and what their place is in the ter- current WTA ecosystem. You look at Elise Mertens, as you mentioned, she's uh, someone who has had success in the 
restart. Not only did she, you know, make that final in Prague, but I thought played a really good match against Jeannie Bouchard, who's obviously playing well right now. Played another really good match against Camilla Georgie. Knocked off the other Pliskova, 5-6 and six in the semifinal, and, you know, gave Halep a test in that second set of the of the Prague final. She was up, I think, 5-2 in set number two before Halep was able to bridge that lead and, you know, end up coming back. But yeah, Elise Mertens, correct me if I'm wrong, doubles champion last year at the U.S. Open with Sabalenka, right? And so, you know, yep. she, she she's had success on these U.S. Open courts. I think her game, if these courts are playing quicker, uh, you know, she's someone who plays big from the baseline, who's going to move you around the court. And I mean, we've already seen, as you mentioned, her get th- uh, two good wins here this week. I mean, it's so draw-dependent, right? But when you talk about Mertens as a dark horse, do you think legitimate candidate to win the event? I could see a scenario where that happens. You know, she plays her best tennis on the quick courts. Like, she hits the ball pretty flat. Her ball stays low and slides through the court. Um, you know, her serve, she plays a lot of slice. Doesn't really have a kick serve, but it kind of slices into your body. Um and she, you know, she hits like some weird side spins and stuff. But uh, yeah, if, if these courts are quick, which I, you know, which I see that they are, I think she's going to play, you know, I think they're going to speed up over these next couple of weeks and um, she's going to be a handful. And just, you know, if we, we project where she might be seated, uh, maybe in the mid teens, maybe even lower, it's going to be, you know, she's going to have a nice path ahead of her likely. Um, so uh, I, I would plan on seeing her in week two of the Open. Yeah, 14 seed here this week. That'll be about the same when we get to the U.S. Open. Um, oh my God, I'm looking at this. You know, I have her uh, all of her uh, WTA page open in front. She's younger than me by a month. That's always crazy. I'm like, oh my God, what have I done with my life? And she made a final two weeks ago. But uh, anyways, yeah, it, you, you sort of mentioned it. Medvedevian in how different her game is, in my opinion, than the majority of the players she comes against. You're absolutely right. It's flat and it's it's funky. They're sliced. I don't think she moves particularly well, but I also don't think her movement's a negative. I think she's a pretty, you know, just quite, you know, she's not, she's not going to get blown off the court by someone at the same time. You know, she's going to be able to play a little bit of defense as well. You know, I'm always worried, what is her plan B? You know, what is she going to do when things go wrong for her? There there are times when just the shots aren't working, the errors pile up. But yeah, if she plays well for two weeks, I mean, obviously she makes the round of 16 here at the Western and Southern. She's already played a week of tennis. I don't know, would you be concerned about her four events in, what, five weeks? That's a lot of tennis. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, you know, they haven't played for a few months, like uh, tournaments like this. I, you know, I'm fine with it, I think. Uh, on the women's side, they're a little bit more used to playing, you know, the week before Grand Slam. You know, they don't play, obviously, five sets. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I think someone like her, she's going to get more confident the more matches she plays. She's not someone who is maybe worried about, uh, you know, being fresh for the set, for the, you know, for a Grand Slam and making a deep run to the second week. I think for her, it's, you know, the more matches, the better. And she doesn't play a particularly physical style. So uh, I think she'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, Elise Mertens, again, uh, you look at where she is at right now. You know, she's sitting right around her career high in the rankings at this point in her career. In the live rankings, Burton's sitting at 22, her career high, number 12. So she's working her way back there. Your favorite stat, Coach Lucero, when I read it off for you, in the race to Shenzhen, how is she <laughs> performing this year in our limited sample size? She's number 13. So, yeah, that makes sense. She's been a top 15 players. And, you know, in a tournament where there's no Burtons, where there's no Barty, there's no 
Halep, there's no Svitolina, there's no Benchich. There's absolutely room for an Elise Mertens to make the sem uh, to make you know the second week certainly make even a run beyond that as well. A name I had circled in this category uh, again, she also belongs in that quartet, and you know I had your friend Ben Rothenberg. You see how I did that there too, you coach, uh, on the podcast. Uh, oh, I think last week in part two was released uh, today on Monday, and I did this whole thing on Yastrzemska. I did this whole thing on Sabalenka. I said, you pick one, Mertens, Vekic, uh, Conteve, or uh, Sakari, and he chose Conteve, so I did the rant there. I finally get to name my last player here. I've talked a little bit about all of them. Uh, Marisa, uh, is it Sakari, right? Wasn't it cor- per- correctly pronounced now on the WTA? I believe it's Sakari. It's not Sakari. Uh, anyways, Maria Sakari, who's put up two really good wins this week. Uh, she beat Coco Goff 1-3, knocked off Putin Seva today 4-6. and six. You look for her, you know, best result at the slam in a singles uh, slam came earlier this year when she made the fourth round of the Australian Open. You look at how she did in that fourth round. Obviously, you know, she was knocked off in three sets, a really good three-set match with Petra Kvitova. But in that tournament, you know, she knocked off Madison Keys. She has wins over Benchich earlier this year. Uh, when she In Dubai, she lost a three-set match to eventual champion Sabalenka. She's been right there. And at 25 years old, Maria Sakari should be entering that point where mentally, physically, both of those things, experience level, that it all kind of you know, matches up now, and she should be entering her prime, and again, you look at her career, the things Maria Sakari has done, nothing's going to blow you out of the water with her results now, you know, she does have, I think it's one career title only, but she does have a a couple of top 10 wins in her career, I believe eight in total, she had her highest ever five last season, she's someone who, had there not been a global pandemic, I really do think would have risen into the top 15, into the top 10 this season, because that's the sort of form she showed. She's fit as a fiddle. I mean, you know, Maria Sakari is... I'm sorry, I'm going to swear, Coach. I know I don't like to do that with you, but she's fucking jacked. She just is. Like, she is ripped. And so I I just, in a, in a time when you, we've talked about this before, you can't replicate the humidity, the heat of New York. Conditions are clearly getting to all of these players. No one's going to be more physically fit than Sakari, and I really enjoy her game. What do you think? Yeah, I think she's good. Uh, I think it's a good call. Uh, she put a beat down on Coco Goff in the first round, you know, strong with Putin Seva. Uh, yesterday. However, with her, um, I have yet to see her really, you know, like you said, her best performance is fourth round of the major. I've yet to see her really break through and show me that she can do it. Uh, you know, in back-to-back matches against top players in an event like that. Also, one, you know, alarm for me is, you know, being a stats guy, being uh, big into the analytics yeah. of the game. This is um, why you're here. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I was just perusing the UTR site, and her UTR... Uh, rating is weaker than her WTA tour ranking. And I cross-referenced all the UTRs of the players that I selected. And for the most part, they almost have their WTA ranking. So, Dreskin, uh, you might have a little work to do, my friend. So there's an analytic red light. I like that. And by the way, anytime there's any cross-sectioning happening on the GSP, you have my attention. Um, but, yeah, I, I look— 
Maria Sakari, uh, in terms of WTA international level or higher in her career, she has a 46-53 and 53 career record on hard courts. That's a lot worse than I would have anticipated. I like her game. I think she can attack. I think she's explosive. I think she's a really good mover on the surface as well. Now, you know, you expand that to broader ITA events, you know, that obviously that number gets above 50%, but... I don't know. I, again, you, you sort of hit it there. Fourth round at a major. It happened at this year's Australian Open. It's the best she's ever done at a major. I think she's trending upwards. You know, third round last year uh, at the U.S. Open. That was after she made the quarterfinals in Cincinnati last year. Actual Cincinnati, not, you know, Western and Southern this year. I'm a fan. And just the way she dismantled Goff, and there was a lot of... I, I get I read too much tennis Twitter, particularly now when there's so much tennis, but you know, everyone, this is an upset for Goff. It was a poor performance. It wasn't a poor performance. Maria Sakari, or Sakari just took it to her. And I mean, first match back off of a layoff, that's exactly what I wanted to see. And then she followed it up today against Putin Seva, two opponents who are going to you know, ask that question of you every time. They're going to force you to hit that extra ball. And she answered that question today and against golf exceptionally well no you're exactly right uh and yeah i mean if she can put it together um you know i'd love to see that until then um you know jury's kind of out fair dark horse for sure but let me say this if she doesn't make the second week i think that's a disappointment for her that's the sort of expectations i have for her and you know she's outside the top 20 so she qualified for this dark horse list all right give me your player number two actually let's well, go if, funky. She, if she made the second week so it's funny because if she made the second week i'd be like oh wow that would be that'd be a win well i would be you know i think the um for the dark horse definition, it, I, I think it's someone that you're not surprised is still around. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose it's the reason I said, you know, I don't think of her as a dark horse. I think the perception, and I guess this, I'm really happy you answered this way for Sakari would be, oh, it's weird. I didn't expect to see her in the second week. I do expect her to see in the second okay. week. I guess that's why I hold her, you know, to a high All level. Right. You know, I what okay. is. Uh, uh, yeah, expect the great. Oh my God, my uh, again. I'm you know I'm from the. Uh, You're mixing the, up all your cliches right now, huh? Yeah. I uh, so I had a tennis coach who always used to be like, I'm like the genius Scotty Bowman, and he'd be like, I know how to motivate my players, even though he wasn't Russian, by the way. He would just <laughs> do that accent when he did his Scotty Bowman. Um, Scotty Bowman also not Russian, but anyways, the point being, yeah, I'm trying to motivate Sakari. I know what okay. she's capable of, and I think she can absolutely get to the second week. But let's shift gears here. I'm ready to have this conversation. Conversation now. Jessica Pagula knocks off Amanda Anisimova today to advance to the round of 16. She was your, you know, JP, hashtag JP MVP, world team tennis. Jessica Pagula. <laughs> I, I still have another player in this band. No, I will come back to it. I know. Okay, I'm just, okay. I, I can't wait any longer. I'm ready to talk <laughs> Jessica Pagula. This is the conversation I, I wanted to have today more than anything because if you listen to our Great Shot podcast, Ace of the Day segments, you know I picked Pagula to knock off Anisimova alongside of Opelka to beat Schwartzman. Four to one odds, finally a victory. Always celebrate the victories. Uh, but it's simply because I think Jessica Pagula has been that good. And you know, last week at the top seed open, yes, it wasn't the best result for her to 
lose to CC Bellis the way she did 6-3-6-2, but we watched that match together. It had as much to do with how well CC was playing as Jessica Pagula, you know, not playing her best tennis, but earlier this year, she made the final in Auckland, knocked off Cornet, knocked off Wozniacki at the Australian Open. You know, she lost a, a tough first round match to Taylor Townsend, but I, I saw Jessica Pagula play really well during this exhibition season as well, and we said it at the top. It, match toughness, match experience matters. Again, draw dependent. If she draws a top C, that's going to be really tough, but there is a 100% a world where Jessica Pagula is in the second week of the U.S. Open, isn't there? A 100%. And for me, it's not a stretch uh, by any um, by any means. I think she has the game. She played you know, I just think she's kind of coming into her own right now. Obviously, winning her first event, you know, last year of her career in D.C., having a good final in Auckland, you know, playing well throughout World Team Tennis season, where she was, I think, in my opinion, clearly the best female player there. Uh, and then, you know, Lexington last week, I feel like sometimes a player like her, meaning someone who's sort of broken out of maybe where they were classified for most of their career i feel like they need a loss like that to sort of help them reset maybe alleviate just a little of the pressure kind of like you know open the uh you know widen the opening of the balloon just a little bit let a little pressure escape and then they can kind of go back to what they're doing um and you know we've seen she's picked up here um pretty much where she left off playing some great tennis and you know i just i have seen an evolution of her game you know almost uh you know, firsthand, I got to see her a lot when I was on the WTA tour, practiced with her a ton with the players I was working with. And I've just, I've seen her change. I've seen her get more, you know, get in better shape. I've seen her approach the game, you know, more professionally and just kind of grow up a little bit too. And um, she's addressing the areas of the game that have needed to improve, like her defense, like adding a slice, like being more solid uh, in rallies. And it's really, it's really paid off. And when she's, you know, when, when she's playing well, she's just very difficult to play because of how big she hits the ball, how early she can take it. Yeah, and look, for her this week, wins over uh, Gracheva, Samsonova, Brady, who obviously won in Lexington. That was a straight set win for Pagula, and then Anisimova. Those are four really good wins, and all within a span of, what, five days, six days? So four wins in six days. That's what you need to put together when you're playing a Grand Slam, and I completely agree with you. Much like I said with Sakari, you know, Pagula, 26 years old, is at that point where the physical side, the mental side, they start to match up. And you can start to, if you're going to make it, you're going to start playing some really good tennis right around this age. And she absolutely is. She's found her bearing at the WTA international level and better. Uh, she's playing really, really good tennis. I, I just, I don't know what how else to emphasize that. She, as you mentioned, is so disciplined from the ground. She can attack anyone. She's clearly as physically fit as any player on tour. That's why it was always so fun to watch her and Tennis Sandgren on the Orlando Storm because you're like, oh my God, these might be the two most fit players in all of world team tennis and they're on the same team. And that was just a really fun dynamic for them. So yeah, very draw dependent, of course. Now, for for any player, are you worried if they play, you know, four, five, six, maybe even seven matches this week? Is that going to be too much? I know I kind of asked that earlier because for Pagula, you're riding such a high. Is it almost better for her to duck out midweek, rest up, and then, you know, be ready for the start of the U.S. Open? Is that a concern at all or for all of these players? you think they're ready to go? Uh, again, it depends. If it's somebody who's you know who's won a Grand Slam before, if we're talking about Serena or Naomi Osaka or somebody like that, uh, you know a Kvitova, 
I would say let's not get too many matches because you've done what it takes and you know what it's like to be around midweek, second week. Uh, for someone else, I think they need the belief that, you know, like if someone say, say Jessica Pagula were to, you know, run off a few more wins, beat a couple more players and, say, and win this tournament, like that kind of win would solidify in her mind, like what's capable, what she's capable of. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's too much value there to, you know, oh, okay, I'm good. I'm ready to lose and get ready for the open. Like, I think that, you know, that sort of win can be career transformative. And, um, yeah, I think, all you know, the more matches, the better. And, and yeah, maybe you run a risk of going a little, you know, tired. But you also get this benefit, too, of, man, I kind of forgot what it's like to lose. And you come through all these tough scenarios where, you know, you almost, like, can't miss. You can't miss balls. And you, you just, you know, you kind of keep winning. So, yeah. No, I mean, you look at her last two years, three finals, the first three finals for her at the international level, won her first career title at the City Open. Uh, yeah, a player tr- was, as you mentioned, arguably the best player for an entire world team tennis season. And yeah, you, you might think to yourself, does that really matter? It absolutely does from a confidence standpoint. She's fit as a fiddle. Now, the only strike you would hold against her, she's never made it past the second round of a slam, right? And that second round appearance even came at the 2015 U.S. Open. She lost first rounds in her last four appearances, French Open through U.S. Open last year, Australia this year. Now, just another positive. I saw an interview, and I apologize to the person who did the interviewing. I don't remember who it was, but she was asked about, you know, how are you feeling heading into New York? And she used to say, well, for me, it used to just be a thrill to be there. But she was like, no, now I now I need to do some winning. Now I need to get my stuff together and put together a performance. And again, that's just check mark, check mark, check mark. Everything I'm looking to hear the eye test matches, you know, the stats matches, the progressive. I'm sure you looked at her active UTR, and I bet it's pretty much, I bet it's higher uh, than her active ranking, and she's an analytics darling. I, I agree with you. I'm in Dark Horse for sure now. I, I mean, the fact that she hasn't made a second week before at a slam, that is a concerning fact. Yeah, it's a fact, uh, but also it's kind of been the evolution of her career, and, you know, you read off that quote from her. I, I mean, I think her head's in the right place. Um, and now it's just a matter of going out there and executing. And that's how players sort of reach new levels in their careers. That's how that's how she's going to get from, you know, where she's ranked, you know, in the low 80s. That's how she makes herself, a you know, a top 20 player, a top 30 player, um, which is, you know, where her UTR would put her at 30 right now. So. Mm-hmm. No, uh, UTR 30 in the world. Yeah, I love to hear that. Certainly don't be surprised. It'll be fascinating to see, you know, where she lands in the draw. Certainly no seed would want that matchup uh, early on in their first week of the U.S. Open. But all right, uh, I think we are three names down, three to go. Uh, let's go now to the middle, the middle range, you know, the vomit zone, 32 to 50. You're not seeded. Well, actually, that's not the vomit zone. The vomit zone is at 150 to 200 when you're like, oh, like I would just love to get into that ATP quality or WTA international qualifying, but I'm right on the cusp of the border, and I don't know if I should book that flight because it's an extra $250, and is it really worth it for me to just sit there as an alternate? Anyways, um, you know, let's go to now that 32 to 50 zone, which, again, given how many players are absent, a lot of those players are going to be seated at this U.S. Open. And so some of them, you may see a seat on their name, and you might be like, who is that? A player that jumped out to me, another player I've been waiting uh, to talk about on this podcast, so I apologize for going first here, coach. But Marie Buskova, you've heard me say it, uh, you know, to you directly. I was ready to name Marie Buskova my favorite 
to win the U.S. Open. I'm that confident in her form right now, and obviously, you look for Buzkova today, a huge win for her over Petra Kvitova in three sets. She knocked off Kalinskaya uh, in her first-round match for Buzkova last week. She lost to eventual champion Jennifer Brady, but straight set wins for her over Kanta and Blinkova earlier before the season ended. She made the final in Monterey. She lost in three sets to Svitolina, a former U.S. Open junior, uh, junior girls champion back in 2014, 22 years old, the sort of player who should be hitting their prime right now. I think she is just extraordinarily athletic, such a high floor as a player. She can do a lot of different things uh, really well. She defends well. She goes from defense to offense well because of she can utilize her speed uh, to take time away from you. Uh, she can play a little bit, you know, be more aggressive than you would think. I'm a big fan of her game. I think she's another player who I could see making the second week because she's got all the recipes. She's match tough. She's playing well. She's confident. I am a fan. What says Mark Lucera? Yeah, I know you. I know you're a big fan of Buskova. Um, she she did not make my list. Uh, I can see I can see it happening for her and and for you. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know. I, she, again, she's one of these players who kind of comes out and she plays a game style that you know. There's and for me, when I watch, there's nothing that really um, there's no wow factor. But she does a lot of things pretty well, in, in my opinion. And she, you know, I think she's a good competitor. And when you're a good competitor and are, you know, bring that sort of um, tenacity, then anything can happen. And, and yeah, I think, I mean, for me, um, if I'm looking at her, you know, her ranking is pretty much right where her UTR is. And so that to me, it, it, you know, is kind of uh, the only red flag for the Gruskin pick. But um. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a hidden gem analytically the way you were looking for. Yeah, she's not look. You know, she doesn't have that. Uh, you know, that value I was looking for, that That's hidden fair. value. That's uh, fair. You're paying, well, then... paying one to one. You know, like <laughs> dollars to uh, dollars to yeah, donuts. No. You're not. You're not getting no, a deal. You're... Yeah. No, exactly. This is like Marie Buzkova is the player you get, you trade to get a Joel Embiid. It's like, okay, I'll give you Tobias <laughs> Harris and Marie Buzkova, and I'll take yeah. Joel Embiid. And you're like, oh, two quarters for a dollar? Like, there's no fun in that. And I get like, why you say that. Um, but nevertheless, um, I just disagree. Because okay. 22 years, yeah, that's going to shock you. Um, and by the way, I appreciate you saying it would disappoint me because it really would at this point. I feel like I, I've put a lot of stock in Alex Zverev. Our listeners know that. I'm forever, him and I are forever tied at the hip, the two Alexes. That's what everyone's going to talk about. They're going to be like, man, that Alex Zverev was great. And that Alex Gruskin's faith in him was great throughout all of the years as well. Um, but anyways, for Buzkova, semifinals last year at the Rogers Cup, right? That was a big moment for her. From there, she's really gone on to continue success. She made, you know, first WTA final earlier this year uh, at in Monterey. She, you know, a doubles final at last or in Lexington, take it with a grain of salt, but just indicative of the fact that she's playing well. She has three top 10 wins all in the past 12 months, wins over Sloan, Simona, Svitolina, all, you know, Rogers Cup and end of last season. I just, I think in a time when all of these players are struggling to find their rhythms, and I agree with you, she plays an on-fire Sabalenka. She plays an on-fire 
big hitter, they can very well hit their hit her off the court. They have higher ceilings on a match-by-match basis than a Marie Buzkova. But similar to a David Goffin, in a time when there's just not a lot of match toughness, not a lot of callous to these players' games, they're figuring things out on the fly, Marie Buzkova is callous. She's ready. She is match tough. She is going to make that extra ball in every match she's played. She's going to put the onus on you to say, okay, beat me. You think you can do it? Beat me. Prove it. And for a lot of these players, given how rusty they may be, it's going to be tough to beat her because on top of all of the speed, she can also, you know, do a lot of things well on the court. Gruskin, only one win in Grand Slam career, just FYI. (laughs) Look, that's concerning, but same with Jessica Pagula. Same with Jessica Pagula, right? So it's kind of grain of salt for all of these picks. That's why they're dark horses. (laughs) True, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that right there, that's a Wolverine at its finest. Analytics on the fly. Um, All right, give me your pick 32 through 50. Uh, My pick 32, I have two, um, but Mm -hmm. the first one, obviously, is going to be Jennifer Brady. Uh, Yeah, it it was inevitable. That's my second pick as well. Make the case. Uh, I mean, you know, she's ranked, what's she ranked right now, around 40 or something? I think 42. Um, yeah, UTR is she has she's 16 in the world. So um, I just look at her results this year, the matches she's won. You know, prior to the break, uh, obviously winning Kentucky. Uh, I saw her play pretty good tennis in um, World Team Tennis once she raised her uh, string tension. Um, and I just think about you know the weapons she brings to the court. I don't think there's, I think the awe factor of playing top players is long gone with her. Um, I think she's you know I just think she's ready to break through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your UTR is my race to Shenzhen, number 14 on that list as well. She was exceptional. Her loss to Pagula, for anyone who wanted to hit the panic button, they say, oh, it's a Lexington hangover. No, it was it was a testament to Pagula, right? She played really well in that match. It wasn't that Jennifer Brady played poorly. I also think if these courts, you know, you accept the hypothesis that these courts at the U.S. Open are playing faster, which I still don't accept, by the way, Coach. But nevertheless, let's say you accept that. That benefits Jennifer Brady, doesn't it? Uh, um, Ooh, you know, I, I like I, this. I, that would actually, um, in in my mind, to be actually here, I'm going to qualify that. I think she plays her best tennis on a slow hard court. However, when I look back to where her biggest results have been, particularly this year, playing in uh, Brisbane and then in Melbourne, um, not in Melbourne, the, the you know the events earlier Dubai. in the year, yeah. Uh, those are quicker courts, so that would, um, you know, that would nullify my thesis. So, yeah, I think the courts, you know, you being correct this time, those fast courts would help her, especially if she's playing, you know, fast with her backhand down the line. Yeah, I'm going to throw one correct statement in every podcast. Why not? Um, yeah, and, you know, again, match toughness. She has played so much tennis. She played world team tennis on top of exhibitions, on top of obviously the confidence of winning Lexington. And yeah, she is fit as a fiddle right now. You know, they kept saying she went to Germany this offseason. Maybe she got the Kobe treatment. I don't know. But whatever she did work, she came back in exceptional shape. And, you know, it really worked for Jennifer Brady. So absolutely had to be a name in this category. Who's your second name? My second name, well, I'm going to preface it. Um, I would have picked Svetlana Kuznetsova um, had she not pulled out of the tournament. I think she's been kind of quietly under the radar for about a year and a half um, since she came back from injury. Uh, 
But anyway, so I I have Anz Jabour in there, who oh, I just gracious. I you know I'm not not a huge fan of how she plays, uh, or I, I don't really think she's very reliable. But um, her results this year have proven me wrong. You know, quarters in Australia and and Doha, and then in Lexington last week, uh, and, and she's dangerous. You know, I I think she doesn't play her best tennis in the heat, so keep an eye on the conditions. But a quick court, um, she's pretty dangerous. You know, with a good serve and a, and a big first forehand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because I got a couple of texts after that first set bagel she dropped to Layla Fernandez. But so what I told all of those people, coaches, what do you expect from Own Shabur, right? She's going to drop six o sets. That's almost half of the allure of her game for every outstanding drop shot winner she hits she's gonna hit you know four maddening slices where you're like why did you go for that and yeah another player with confidence right who had built up a really good start to 2020 I won't tell you the race to Shenzhen I'll just say it was really good I imagine UTR wise she was another analytical darling yeah about half of her ranking so she's ranked 39 I believe her UTR is 20 Mm-hmm. Yeah, that which makes sense. And a top 20 player, given how many players are missing, uh, that's a player who maybe you could even argue isn't a dark horse, who is a player who should just objectively have success. Now, at the same time, you could also see that second round where just it's not working for her and she loses badly to someone you would have expected her to beat, right? Yeah, 100%. If it's a hot day and she plays someone who's going to make the points physical, um, you know, I can see that match happening pretty fast, yeah. Mm -hmm, For sure. So yeah, definitely in the dark horse category as well. Well then, you know, we're sort of snake ordering this. Let's go back to the top because I know you have another top name to give. uh, Let's hear it. Give me your top name. I have one more in that category as well I want to run through and then we'll give our one last outside the top 50 and maybe some honorable mentions as well. Yeah, I have uh, Yastremska. You know, last year she made the third round at the US Open in Australia and fourth round at Wimbledon uh, and that's her first her first year playing a full season at the tour level so uh you know I, I think in, in her UTR is inside the top 20 I believe it's 15 um so yeah I think um she's gonna be someone to uh to watch for big game she can knock people off the court um she's not scared of anybody and uh she certainly acts like it on court um so yeah I think uh I would keep an eye over her 100 percent how much of this uh, this you're choosing her is because Sasha Bajin just charmed the bejeebies out of us on Tennis One app? Oh, um, yeah, that's not really a too big of a factor. <laughs> oh, I just figured I'd ask, and, you know, I often refer to you as the most handsome man in tennis media. This is just another reason why. Because I could not agree more. And if you listen to part two of that Ben Rothenberg podcast, she was one of my most interesting players to watch during these three weeks in New York. Today, an erratic three-set win for her. She ended up coming back and winning to advance to the round of 16, that first-round match against Venus. I mean, inject that into my veins in terms of the on-court petty drama. That's exactly what I want to see in my tennis matches. And I thought Renee Stubbs' criticism of her was just so, so accurate and so cutting and just so... Again, it's why Renee is so good at what she does. But yeah, I mean... There's a world where Diana Yastremska gets hot for two weeks and just wins the event. There's a world where Diana Yastremska 
loses the thread in her very first round match and loses first round. That's just how she plays. I've watched her. We already have in this restart in Prague, blow match points, or in Palermo, excuse me, blow match points against Georgie. We, you know, in that match against Venus, I can't, I'm just as surprised she won the match as I would have been if she'd lost the match. She's that sort of, you know, up and down quality of player. And yet at 20 years old, you just, you can't deny the talent. If if everything clicks someday, it's a question of how many Grand Slams, not will she win a Grand Slam. Yeah, she just has game. You know, she's just dangerous to play. And the thing for her, which I see as a plus, if she's winning matches like she has the last couple of days, like winning ugly matches, I think it's, you know, basically a sign of her maturation as a player mm-hmm. that she's figuring out ways to win when she's not playing her best versus being a player who's going to play great, who's going to, you know, play great and win and play poorly and lose like you know you don't want to be like that if you want to be a good player you need to be able to figure out how to win on the majority of the days when you're playing average or you know when you're playing average to bad that's what good players do yeah and to quote Sasha Bajin when we talked to him on the tennis one she's the sort of player she sees a brick wall she's trying to bulldoze her way through that wall she's not going to go around it she's not going to go above it she's trying to go through it and sometimes that gets her in trouble you're absolutely right but to see her you know, win ugly, as you mentioned, that's definitely a step forward in the right direction. And, you know, no one's going to deny her tools as well. So I think that's a really good pick. You know, one player I did not have in this category, but was an honorable mention to me, I was doing my research and I'll talk about these stats more and more as we get closer to the actual start of the U.S. Open. But I went through the past five years or since the start of the 2015 season. This is what I do with my life coach. That's also why I'm I'm single. I apologize, mom. Um, but, you know, it's I went through the seven major hardcore events, right? So I went through uh, uh, Indian Wells, Miami, Australian Open, U.S. Open, Rogers Cup slash Canadian Open, whatever you want to call it, since uh, Western and Southern, and then the event in, uh, not Shanghai, which one am I missing? No, it is Shanghai. No, 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 for the women, it's Beijing, excuse Beijing. me. Beijing. Uh, yeah, and so for no, Beijing. No Wuhan? Uh, no Wuhan. Look, I'm happy. Now— now I have to throw in Wuhan. I hope you're happy. Now I've forgotten about it. Now Wuhan's I'm have a to bigger event in. on the women's FYI. Okay, so now I have to throw in Wuhan. That's good to know. So I'm going to look – again, I appreciate that because I'm looking through since 2015. I'm trying to find trends and patterns like, you know, some of the – one of the hidden gems I found who won't surprise me at all if he does well on the men's side is Pablo Carreno Busta because he's just seemed to do – pretty well on the big on the hard courts in the past big seven events on the men's side on the women's side since the start of 2015 only three players have made the finals of both the western and southern open and the u.s open do you think you could name those three three players have made the okay tell me again the three players since the start of the 2015 season uh-huh. three players have made the finals of both the u.s open and and the Western and Southern Open. Can in the, you name those In the three? same year or ever? No, in total, over the course of the five years. Okay, I'm going to go with Madison Keys. That's one. Uh, gosh. Um, the other, One of the other ones really obvious. Serena? It's exactly who, yeah, it's exactly who you think it is. So Serena and Keys are one and two, and of course that's interesting. But the third player, you want to give it one guess? Um... Is this player not playing the U.S. Open this year? This player is playing the U.S. Open, but not the Western and Southern. Oh, um, hmm. Uh, who is it? Tell me. Angelique Kerber. 
is the oh. third player to have made the finals of both events. Now, you expand that out to the semifinals of both events. You add the name Sloan Stevens, who, yeah. with all due respect, truthfully a dark horse in this. If she wins it, I, I don't even know what to say. I'll just be like, that's 2020 in a nutshell, right? That's 2020 in a nutshell, Sloan Stevens winning the U.S. Open. That would just yeah, be... Yeah, well, that's, that, that's, that'd be par for the Sloan Stevens uh, course, you know? Um, exactly. She's someone no, but... who I, I think can win any event she plays, regardless of, you know, she could lose 20 matches in a row, and I still would put her, at, you know, as a favorite for a Grand Slam. No, that's fair. The other one, Carolina Pliskova, is the fifth name on that list. But, you know, Angelique Kerber was an interesting name to me because she hasn't been that great, right, over these past 18 months. Now, Kerber is someone who's always been very streaky during the course of her career. Right early on, it was only the odd years where she was just ridiculous in 2013, 15, 17, but, you know, 14, 16, and 18. Or I don't remember if it was the evens or the odds, but, you know, she's she's had up and down levels of play throughout her career. Uh, maybe just being the veteran, the institutional know-how, being able to show up and ball. Is she someone you see as a dark horse or not really? Yeah, I think a quick court actually would be really good for her. She's reunited with her former coach, Torben Belts, who was coaching uh, Donna Vekic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, her and Torben did a good job together for quite a while. Uh, she made her big breakthrough with my guy, Wim Pissett, when she won Wimbledon. And then uh, – yeah, you know, she kind of was trying to figure out, sort out her team over the last, uh, you know, like you said, year and a half or so. She had, um, gosh, Reiner Schuler for a little bit, and I think Dee Dee Kindleman was with her for a little bit and just didn't really have, you know, um, uh, a consistent uh, partnership, which I know, you know, she was had kind of been accustomed to. Um, I think, you know, sna- snagging uh, Torben away from um, Team Beckett was a good, you know, thing for her. She's going to feel very confident. Um, so, yeah, I could see her being very dangerous, especially the way that she plays with that, you know, the forehand down the line, taking that back end early cross court, uh, these courts to really give her a little extra zip and it's going to be trouble. Yeah. For the opponents. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's a name to throw out there. I would also throw out, even though she lost today, Christina McHale, uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova, because she's been really, really good during this 2020 season. Someone who's clearly playing her best tennis of her career right now. Uh, but that gets us to outside the top 50. And, you know, I know you have one more name left for me. I have a question for you before we get there. And I have made this offhand comment in a couple of our Cracked Rackets pods of late. But I always say I take an an- a tennis analyst as seriously as they answer this question. Venus Williams, Kim Kleisters, legitimate threats to win the U.S. Open or not this year? Gosh, legitimate threats to win the Open. I think it's a. I think it's a big ask. We don't even know if Kim's healthy. Um, Venus. For the record, that's why you're a returning champion on this podcast because I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she's healthy. I mean, if she's healthy, then yeah. I think she can be anybody who you put in front of her. Can she do it back to back to back? I don't know. And same with Venus. I, I just I don't know. I, I think it's been a while since she made a deep run. Uh, somewhere, you know, I, I think a lot of things would have to line up for both players. If they did line up, uh, and we get to the business end of a tournament, then you need to look out because these, you know, they've obviously been there before. Yeah, I, I think you just nailed it. If we could guarantee 
both would stay healthy for the duration of the two weeks, then sure, you could see both of them in the round of 16, but you just can't guarantee that, especially, you know, Kim's been dealing with that ab strain. And again, the last thing I want is to Kim for Kim Kleisters to rush back, feel the need to play in this comeback. Uh, you know, I want to see Kim Kleisters at her healthiest playing her best tennis because she can still play so extraordinarily well. But to ask her for to do a two out of three sets, two weeks straight, seven matches total, that's a lot. And I just... I don't see it happening. Same thing for Venus. I just think that's that's just it's it's a really big ask out of them at this point in their careers. Yeah, can they you know play a seed first round, a top seed, and beat them? Absolutely, you know. And then um, you know, then after that, anything can happen. But you know, I wouldn't want to see them across from my player in the draw. But mm-hmm. if you're talking about you know what happens over the course of two weeks, a lot of things would have to really fall the right way. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree with you there. Well, then, your final player outside of the top 50, Mark Lucero, your dark horses for the U.S. Open. Gosh, I have one dark horse and then one super dark horse. Um, I love it. Give them to me both. So, I got Daniel Collins in there, and then I have CeCe Bellis. Oh, you you really do love me. Um, okay, make the case, please, for both players. Well, Danielle, uh, again, she's someone whose UTR is about half of what her current WTA ranking is. Um, you know, she took a first-round L here to Jill Teichman, who is, uh, whatever, um, playing well. But uh, she play, you know, she plays well in big events, Daniel Collins, and I think she's, again, someone who doesn't necessarily need to play a ton of matches to feel confident because she can go out there and, you know, slit someone's throat if she feels like it. Uh, mm-hmm. Cece Bellis, I think, is, re- is really starting to get it back together you know, had a good week for her in Lexington making the quarters. She's playing uh, right now. She qualified and got a win over Dodan, Oshan Dodan in the first round, and she's playing Sabalenka right now in a tough match. So, yeah, I think she's going to be ready to go next week. And, again, you know, CeCe Bellis with a little bit of confidence is not uh, someone that you want to see across the net because she's feisty. She plays at fast tempo. And, again, I think these courts are going to be really good for her. Yeah, look, you don't need to convince me. CeCe Bellis, I, I said it all throughout the broadcast in Lexington. I got to see her at the EXO in Lexington beforehand. As we are speaking right now, Coach, I, I think you might have mentioned that she's up a set right now, 7-6 on Sabalenka. Uh, and so obviously, yeah, she's confident. She's someone who believes she belongs back in the top 30. She belongs in the conversation with all of these other immensely talented youngsters as a future Grand Slam champion. And, you know, again, fitness, it's never going to be a question for CC Bella. She's played Madison Brangle. She went three sets with Bonaventure, three sets yesterday, 7-6 in the third against Doden. And yet I don't have a concern in my mind that she's not fit enough to get through her next match. In the heat, the humidity, I think that's a huge advantage. I think she's match tough. I think much like Marie Buskova, she's going to make you make that extra ball. And so, yeah, yeah, I agree. You don't need to talk me into it any further. If you see her in the second week, also expect to see me celebrating uh, because that would be <laughs> quite delightful uh from my perspective the only other name you know i've talked we've talked enough about jill teichman obviously played so well in lexington to make the final straight set wins there until the final she's technically outside the top 50 but she's been playing so well of late so shouldn't shock anyone to see her there another name layla fernandez right who's played so so well uh throughout this 2020 season clearly the young 17 year old canadian ready to make the leap as a full-time wta player you know not only into the top 100 but further in that these are all names that okay for fernandez if she makes the second week i'll be genuinely surprised for teichman at this point i would not no i mean there's plenty of names i mean if we go down 
you know, if you go down even further, like, you know, Shelby Rogers is at what, 95. Like I could see her mm-hmm. easily playing in the second week. If, you know, she gets one or two things to shake out her way in a draw. I mean, um, someone like Azarenka, you know, it's not like she doesn't know her way around the second week of a grand slam. I mean, she's sitting at 59 in the rankings. Um, there's just, there's so many players who I think could really, like a Laura Sigmund could be a nightmare. She could be playing on Labor Day Monday, you know, with a chance to, to really bust through. I, I, I just think there's so many, you know, Taylor Townsend, you know, who mm-hmm. there's just, there's so many dangerous players who are going to be lurking in this draw. I think it's going to be, you know, a wide open event and with no crowds, you know, no, uh, no cheering to make somebody nervous in a big moment, to, you know, to wonder in their head, can I really knock off the seed? Um, it's going to be quiet and calm and it's going to feel like a practice match for some of these players. And that might bring a sense of, uh, you know, of calm when it comes time to close out, a you know, closing out one of these big matches. Mm-hmm. Well then again, I, I completely agree with you there. And so much of it is going to be draw dependent as well, but just a fun question for you about some of these dark horses and, you know, someone like Jennifer Brady, right? I'm just curious how, what you think about this? Let's assume both Jennifer Brady, cause I think she is going to be seated and Serena Williams don't face their first seed until the third round. Who do you feel more confident in getting to the fourth round? Jennifer Brady right now or Serena? Uh, Gosh, that's a, what a what a question. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I will go with. I will go with. Gosh. Say I, it, because uh, I agree with you. Make the hot take. Uh, I'm gonna go with Say Serena it? because she's been there, ah! even though. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Serena because she's been there before, and I uh, I feel like I have an idea of what I can expect. I don't think she looked particularly great. Um, in the matches that I've seen, but I do think she's been there before. I think there'll be a little bit of, uh, you know, this is Serena uh, quaking in the boots factor, even though I just said there won't be as much of it. I think there will still be a little <laughs> bit of that. Um, you know, you saw the way Ruth put that tiebreaker today in the third set. Um, you know, I just think uh, Jennifer Brady, I want to, I want to see it and I'll believe it. I, I think, you know, again, I've told her to her face, but I think, you know, the sky's the limit for her, but I just want to see her, develop that reputation as someone who routinely gets deep into the grand slams and uh, Serena being the great of all the time. I, you know, I have too much respect for her to not go with her. Did you hear the balloon pop though? When you <laughs> took Serena, just crushing, crushing. I, to be honest, sword. I could have said, I could have said either player and made a case, you know, I really, yeah. I really felt like I could have answered with either player and made a case for both, but um, I got to go with, I got to go with the goat. Yeah, no, I mean, again, the big theme, the big takeaway from uh, this discussion, so many discussions I've had about this U.S. Open on the women's side, just it is a wide open field. There are legitimately, okay, maybe not 50, but certainly 30 women who you could make a coherent case for uh, them emerging as the champion in New York. And yeah, that that's something obviously that uh, all of us can look forward to as tennis fans. Parody is not something we saw a lot of during the 2010s. There was a lot of the big four on the men's side, a lot of Serena Williams on the women's side. Uh, the 2020s, I think, are going to be anything but guaranteed, anything but certain. And that's something we can all look forward to as tennis fans. My final question for you, Coach, since I don't think I'm going to have you back on until, you know, at the very least, the tournament starts. Your pick to win the U.S. Open in both men's and women's singles. Put oh my on the goodness, spot. I wasn't Give prepared for this one. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I am gonna go. I'm gonna go with Naomi Osaka on the women's, 
Okay. And I, for the men's, gosh, um, if I cannot pick my guy, Steve Johnson, I am going <laughs> to pick, uh, gosh, who's going who's gonna to bust out of their uh, comfort zone? I'm going to say we're going to have a first-time winner. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to have a first-time oh. Grand Slam winner on the men's side. I'll take that. Honestly, that's a win. And just know that no matter what you do, you will not pick the worst name because I love him to death, and he will forever be uh, welcome back on the show. But Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick came on this show, was also not prepared for the question, I think panicked a little bit, and chose Sloan Stevens to win the 2020 U.S. Open. And I was like, Brett, that's the best pick I could have possibly have heard from you. I was like, "That's you nailed it. I was like, perfect. <laughs> I, um, you so, know, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised. Surprise! I could see, you know, I, I could see her losing first round. I could see her winning the tournament. I could see, you know, a Madison Keys uh, going out in the second round, but also bringing home a title. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really uh, wide open, you know. Yeah, no, it's going to be a really fun event, and so it is something we are certainly looking forward to, something I know our Crack Rackets fans always look forward to, is hearing your analysis, hearing your commentary. So thank you, Coach, as always, for taking the time to chat with us today. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, I know you got to hustle and get back to the uh, RNC, so I'll let you go. But um, <laughs> I look forward to chatting with you next time and watching the rest of these tournaments. I'm really fired up to have tennis on TV. You don't know this, but Reuters is actually writing a story on a second Jerry Falwell pool boy, and uh, it's me. Uh, so just a little spoiler for you there. Yeah, I'm locked into this RNC, definitely. But no, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Coach. Obviously, take care, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. You too, man. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Tennis Channel's Mark Lucero. Of course, we always appreciate Mark taking the time to come chat with us, and he's been so kind with his time as of late. I don't know how he can put up with me as much as he does. You know, the same way I don't know how our super producers, anyone puts up with me as much as they do. Nevertheless, uh, he is. It's always we're always so grateful to have him on the show. So, uh, congra- uh, congratulations, congratulations to him. Thank you to him. I should say, hey, great shot to me for taking the time to chat with us. And of course, we are so excited for all of this action in New York. If you have missed any of the Western and Southern Open, you can check out our daily recaps of all of the day's play on the Mini Break Podcast. Jamie McDonald joining me every day this week thus far to break down all of the action. We've given our takes on the players who have looked best, the players who have some work to do heading into the Open. Eyes on you, Dominic Team and Carolina Pliskova. Uh, but obviously, it's a really exciting time to be a tennis fan. And we want to keep you all in the loop keep you up to date on everything going on in the tennis world. So, of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Mini Break podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, where we've had two, uh, you know, we've had an outstanding guest this week in Trish Faulkner to talk about some of the other stories in tennis, right? ATP, WTA, merger talks, uh, the history, the context of those. No one provides better uh, context for those conversations than former WTA head tour director uh, Trish Faulkner, who joined us this week. And then we have a really fun interview coming tomorrow with 
with Brenda Schultz-McCarthy, a former top 10 singles and doubles player I know all of you will enjoy. So be sure to check that podcast out as well. Like, rate, subscribe, review. And again, you know, for uh, we're, th- we're three platforms wide. This, you know, our podcast mediums, YouTube, and then our website, crackrackets.com, to ensure you listeners have everything you need to make these past three, uh, these next three weeks in New York as enjoyable for you as possible. So be sure to check out all of that content. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. We have them working overtime during this three-week stretch, and they are delivering. So shout out to the both of them. Shout out again to our friends at DraftKings. If you want to get in on the action, and there is so much action, how can you resist? Just go to dkng.co slash greatshot. Put a little money in your pocket. Take advantage of that offer. And again, take advantage of the fact that you know so much about tennis. Why not monetize that fact? Why not? You know, it's just worthwhile. Trust me, folks. Uh, But with that being said, again, really fun podcast still planned for you this week. As soon as the draws come out, we'll have a draw breakdown for you. We've still got our men's dark horses, our men's uh, most interesting players to come podcast. I have JC Aragoni ready to talk dark horses with me tonight. Another fun guest to talk most interesting players later in the week. We're going to be rocking and rolling. It's going to be, I think, a, what, a 15 podcast week, maybe a 14 podcast week here at Crack Rackets, and that is because we want you listeners, again, to have everything you need to be ready for this U.S. Open for the return of Tour Tennis. But with that being said, for my wonderful guest, Mark Lucero, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.